For a status, I am Malihe Razazan. Dr. Mads Gilbert is a medical doctor at the University Hospital of North Norway. Since 1981, he has been going regularly to Palestine as a teacher and emergency care doctor at Gaza's Al-Shifa Hospital. He has worked in Gaza during successive waves of Israeli attacks on the densely populated area. His new book, Night in Gaza, contains photographs documenting the horror of last summer's Israel's 51-day military assault on Gaza. I spoke with Dr. Gilbert about his new book, Night in Gaza, and the state of the public health in the Gaza Strip. A few years ago, we interviewed a labor representative about a remarkable anti-Israeli strike at one of Norway's most important ports. Dock workers had simply refused to service an Israeli ship. The first time this had ever happened in Europe. So how do you explain the relatively progressive approach to Israel-Palestine issues um, of Norway and Sweden, which was the first country to recognize Palestine as an independent state? What makes these two countries more independent, or does it, in their policies towards the Middle East? Is it a better informed population, independent media, less Zionist influence? How do you explain this? Norway and Sweden certainly are different. Norway has uh, actually developed from being one of the most pro-Zionist countries in Europe to being, as you say, a very pro-Palestinian country. And, And I think it's actually based on a multitude of factors. I was brought up with the pro-Zionist narrative, totally, in school, at home. I come from a quite progressive home, very active mother. And uh, she always told me that we had to support Israel because they had made the desert bloom. They had the socialist experiment with the kibbutzes. They were the dispossessed. It was Holocaust, everything. And, you know, Norway provided the heavy water for the Israeli nuclear bomb. And we were selling warships to them. You still are selling We're selling M25 and we are providing fuel for the Hellfire rockets and it's a shame. Mm -hmm. And with the other hand, we're delivering the Nobel Peace Prize. So there is, as always with the powers, there is a huge double standard. But then in the... 50s, Norwegian UN soldiers, peacekeeping soldiers with the Blue Beret started to go to Gaza and then later to Lebanon. And then from the mid-60s, there was a growing pro-Palestinian solidarity movement in Norway. I myself volunteered to go to Israel in 1967. To work in a kibbutz. To work in a kibbutz because the Israeli embassy issued this appeal Mm -hmm. to Norwegian youth. And I volunteered because I thought it was sort of international solidarity. And that was the first time, to be honest, that I heard about the Palestinians. Because I was, you know, told this by um, a mentor of mine, Eba Varglan. And um, so I didn't go. And I became a member of the Norwegian Palestine Committee. And then what we have done over all these years is to send people to work in the diaspora, in Lebanon in particular, in Rashidiya and in Beirut. We've by you mean Norwegian people and activists? Uh, Norwegians, young, young Norwegian solidarity workers, often quite uneducated, often not very uh, knowledgeable about the situation. And they, I think that going to occupied Palestine, going to the diaspora is the strongest way of understanding that this is not a difficult conflict. This is a difficult occupation. It's not at all difficult to understand what's going on. It's an apartheid system, it's a colonial politics, and it is actually so brutally you you hardly believe it when you're not there 
So I think over all these years, 20, 30 years, that young Norwegian people and gradually also more adults go down there, come back, tell the story about what they have seen. Gradually, this lifeful Zionist narrative has been pushed back and has been replaced by a more realistic picture of what the Palestinian story is all about and what this occupation is all about. And then we've had, you know, the attack on Beirut in 82. We've had the four attacks on Gaza. And we have been many people traveling. There has been lots of doctors and nurses and psychologists and dentists and ambulance paramedics. And all of them, good people, good-hearted people, not necessarily very political, but they come back and say, we, we don't want to accept this. We don't want the world to be like this. And then gradually, this matures in the population. And then came 2009, cast led. And I think that was sort of a turning point where people really could see what was going on, the massive killing, the injustice. And of course, there were two Norwegian voices there, Dr. Erik Foss and myself. People very much identified with us and felt that we were there by proxy for them. So how are Palestinian rights activists treated in the media there? Oh, we're treated well. We are invited to the major discussions. Of course, there is a heavy-handed Zionist influence, but uh, mm. it's pushed back. I, I can tell you a funny story. Last year, the Israeli ambassador to Norway wrote a letter to all Norwegian editors in the newspapers, in the broadcast system, telling them not to interview me that attitude to try to instruct the media in a foreign country, it's quite uh, indicative of how shameless the colonial attitude of, of the Zionists are. This, of course, backfired big time. I have never been interviewed more than after the ambassador tried to control the Norwegian media. So I think that we as, I would say, quite moderate activists, but we know what we're talking about. We've been there. And we are invited and we are part of the political landscape. My city, Tromsø, has been twin city with Gaza City for 14 years after a majority vote in the city council. And we are seriously now discussing if we can establish a majority vote to make Tromsø the first city, the first municipality to boycott Israel in Norway, like Reykjavik did a few months ago. Talking about uh, suppressing the message, uh, you have been going as a physician, you have worked in a number of war zones, places like Burma, Angola, Afghanistan, as you said, Lebanon in uh, 1981. But for the past 15 years, you have focused your work solely on Gaza. Why did you decide to make this particular place the mm. core of your medical work and solidarity work? Once you get to know the Palestinian history and the Palestinian people, it becomes part of your soul in a way. And I have uh, been fortunate to be accepted by the Palestinian people. Gaza is my second home. It's my family. And as a medical doctor, I will uh, try to do my best to alleviate suffering and to prevent more suffering. And for me, one of the biggest injustices in the world today, it is the occupation of Palestine. And in that sort of framework, the siege and the repetitious bombardments of Gaza is the, in a way, the epicenter both of the oppression and the resistance. So Palestine at large and Gaza in particular has become uh, a responsibility. I feel a huge responsibility towards the knowledge that I have gained about Gaza, about the situation for the people as a medical doctor. I've been doing research there. We have published results of the patient flow studies we've done in 2012 and 2014 in The Lancet. 
we're doing research as we're speaking and I think to document the relation between occupation and ill health is an important way of generating more evidence-based knowledge about what occupation does to people, to ordinary people, to the civilian population. So that this knowledge can be used as a tool to prevent and to try to stop other situations where military occupation and bombardment is used as a quote-unquote mean to solve a situation, a political situation. I mean, come on, the West have now been using brutal military sanctions and siege of Iraq, of Iran, of Libya, of Afghanistan, uh, Syria, the latest example of how this massive military-industrial-political complex is using the most brutal types of arms to uh, obtain their goals of geopolitical control on the one hand and massive profit on the other hand. And we need to do more to understand how disastrous these military campaigns, occupations, bombardments are for public health, for humanity. That's also why I am so dedicated to Gaza because Gaza is by and large much overlooked because it's silenced in the mainstream media, in the Western media. And the Israeli impunity is so overwhelming that you're almost not allowed to talk about it without being punished. That's part of the reason why Palestine and Gaza is so close to me. In some way, it has been ground zero since 2006. As I said, uh, you have been going to Gaza for 15 years now, and you were there for two weeks in the summer of 2014. And you tried to return there a few months later, I think in uh, November of 2014, mm. but you were denied entry by Israel on, quote, security ground. They also imposed a permanent ban on your entry into Gaza. You have been an outspoken critic of Israel, uh, describing its action in Gaza as, quote, state terrorism at the highest level. And the last time, three days after the assault began when you were trying to cross an Allenby Bridge to go to Gaza, you said, I had been warned that I might not be let in by the Israelis, but a $100 VIP border pass with a special shuttle driver made the crossing surprisingly easy. But you were banned after your last trip. Were you surprised? And did you think that eventually you're going to be banned from going to Gaza. It was just a matter of time. I have to answer that at two levels. If I look at it from the Israeli point of view, from the, uh, the point of view that they want to control the flow of information, the description of the realities on the ground, they want to maintain their grip of international media. It was only a matter of time before they, they would try to, to stop me. This is not the first time they've tried to stop me. During the attack in 2009 and also during the last attack, I got threats through very high-level channels that I had to get out because my life was in danger. So at that level, at a sort of pragmatic uh, analytical level, well, they uh, exercised their powers as they see it fit in their interest, so they would stop anybody from conveying the realities on the ground. On a principal uh, level, I am very surprised because I am a medical doctor. I don't support Hamas, I don't support Fatah, I don't support any political fraction in Palestine, nor do I support PA. I support the Palestinian people and their right to resist occupation. And I am a humanitarian worker, uh, and as any doctor, I have to side up with my patient. And I have to think in terms of preventive medicine. 
the only prevention that can sort of limit the suffering in Gaza is political solutions to lift the siege, to stop the bombing, and to end the occupation. I'm an outspoken person when it comes to these medical, political subjects. But should that disallow you from going to help people in a situation with all the misery that is in Gaza? Of course not. I mean, we have international regulations that is protecting uh, humanitarian missions, ambulances, hospitals, health staff, journalists, in order to have an organized and civilized world. But Israel has barred many people from sure. entering Israel, academics, um, UN officials, researchers. So they are not bound by any international law, rules, or regulations. That's why I say that Israeli impunity is one of the largest moral, political, and ethical challenges of our time. This impunity goes far beyond any limit. If you look at what the Israeli government have been doing in Gaza the last four attacks, 2006, 2009, 2012, 2014, it is just unbelievable that there has not been imposed a single sanction mm -hmm. against them. So this impunity, as you rightly say, it makes them probably believe that they are above the law. Nobody is above the law. Everybody has to respect the law, and in particular, the humanitarian laws and the laws of conflict and war, the Geneva Convention and the Hague Convention. Israel does not. 